as Jesus would have been speaking to the disciples, we don't know if they stood, we don't know if they sang, we're not actually told. But I can honestly imagine that it was a whole lot like a, a worship service as they gathered on that mountain. As we continue now in the Sermon on the Mount, and remember the Beatitudes, rather like the Bill of Rights in our Constitution, the, the Sermon on the Mount uh, was a very, very long message, but the first part of it, the key part of it, were the Beatitudes. Tonight we'll finish those. And so Jesus, as he cried out, as he spoke, as he talked to these disciples, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And then of all of the things to end this almost inconceivable group of Beatitudes, he ends with, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against, against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father, we ask tonight as we kind of snuggle in and sit down and enjoy some time with you that you would speak to us as you did the disciples the multitude gathered on the mount Lord help us to hear from heaven help us to receive from your goodness your glory your grandeur help us as your people to live these things out Lord we admit they're hard and pray that you would enable us fill us with your spirit make us mighty for your name's sake Lord and we pray these things in Christ's precious name the name above every name in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. So the eighth and the final beatitude. It's a continuation. Remember our whole series is called Simply the Savior. And we've really focused in on not just the sayings of Jesus, but the character of Jesus, the nature of Jesus, the attitude of Jesus. And in these particular Beatitudes, these things that lead to a blessed, a spiritually prosperous life. Because remember the word blessed here means to be overflowed, to be prospered, uh, to find true happiness. When most people think of purchasing something, they, they usually think of it in the context of, if I have this, that will make me happy, or that will fulfill that particular want, that particular need in my life. And so these things that lead us to be blessed, these things that draw us into that wonderful place that the Lord could say, those are, those are my kids. That's my kids right there. The final one is actually the seemingly most 
contrary to our human thinking and our human experience. And I can prove that to you because there's probably not a single person in here who would, you know, jump up and say, Yeehaw! Oh, for joy! I'm I'm being hated for the cause of Christ. You know, we just, we don't think that way. It's just contrary to our nature. We may even be completely sold out for the cause of Christ. We may have a wonderful walk with the Lord. But the concept in our heart and in our mind of being persecuted being hated, being reviled, being cursed at, being sworn at, being talked down, being belittled, being humiliated, all because of our desire to be like Jesus, that is a tough, tough pill to swallow. Most of us have a tough time rejoicing in the Lord when things are good, amen? I mean, we do. We're kind of, you know, this is, especially as Christians in, in the United States, we have it pretty good, amen? You don't believe that. You don't have to travel too far south of here to see there's a, a grave difference between how Christians live here and how Christians live even in northern Mexico. You travel the rest of the world, you're going to find out very quickly that we have it really, really well. And so Jesus ends these attitudes that we ought to be. It's a way to think of it. For blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And I want you to stop and take note. This is not being persecuted because you're obnoxious. It's not being persecuted because you're being uh, less than kind. It's not being persecuted because you're hateful and disrespectful. It's not being persecuted because you're mean-spirited and angry. It's not being persecuted because when you talk to people, they feel about this tall. This isn't you being persecuted, me being persecuted, a Christian being persecuted for things that we ought to be persecuted for, and that's being obnoxious. Sometimes it's the delivery, not the message, amen? Amen. And sometimes it's the one who delivers the message that's the problem. That is not what this beatitude is about. Because there are a lot of Christians that frankly deserve to be persecuted. But not for righteousness sake, because they're misrepresenting the Lord. Their attitude, their action, the things they say, and the way they say it to people very often is something that they ought to be persecuted for. It's like, don't talk that way, because Jesus is getting blamed for it. He's talking about those who are really persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's taking a stand on the side of God's opinion on something in a way that the Lord receives the glory and the honor and the praise for it. One of the things in the church I think we really need to do a better job at is accurately representing the Lord. Because there's a lot of people, it's like the church is known for what we're against and not what we're for sometime, amen? we We can all be guilty of that at times. Matter of fact, the, the news media, if you listen to them, very often Christians are persecuted because the delivery system isn't what it ought to be. I've sat there and listened to people banter back and forth about something that is supposed, supposedly the character of Christ. And the way it's being put forth, no wonder no one wants to receive it. You know, as Solomon penned the Proverbs, he, he reminded us of a couple of wonderful things. 
that we're to serve our conversation, bring forth our words as apples of gold in settings of silver so that they can be received. We, we want people to be able to take them in. So blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you. And I want you to notice something. There's one reward in this whole thing. There's three times that persecution is mentioned. And it's mentioned in two contexts. For the revile you and persecute. See, all kinds of evil against you. Notice this falsely for my namesake. The object, the point, very important in this last of the Beatitudes. Because if you get all the rest of them right, if you get humility, if you get mourning over your sin, if you get being gentle, if you, if you get being righteous and merciful and pure of heart, and if you get being a peacemaker, if you understand all those things, I want you to notice something. Every one of those things can be done and said in a prideful and arrogant, a mean-spirited way, can't they? You probably met people who have maybe a false sense of humility. You, you talk to them, it's just like, that's not real humility. You, you've probably met people that when you, when you initially talk to them, they're righteous, but it comes across as, as condemning. It comes across as you know, something that you know, no one would really want to receive from you as a gift. And so all these things, hinging on this one thing, that we're to live our lives for his sake. Rejoice, it says, and be exceedingly glad. Over what? Over being persecuted. Over having people say things falsely against you. You know, I, I, I was having a conversation with a guy, and it was pretty clear which side he was on of the, of the argument that was ensuing that I was trying to stay out of. But the volume kept going up, and I, I finally just said, if you want to argue, I'm not going to do that with you. And he just got furious. I mean, absolutely livid that I would not argue with him and scream and yell back. And, and, and I finally just said, I, I said, is, is there something that I've done to upset you? And he said, yes. You're being like Jesus. The Jesus guy. And after I got done talking with him, he had been beaten down by people claiming to be Christians who were supposedly righteous, and he was used to having to scream and yell to get his point across at this church that he'd been attending. And I said, you don't need to yell at me. You don't need to, I, my hearing is actually pretty good. I said, we can just talk. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When you do a quick study of the prophets, you're going to find out something. It's not a position that anyone would have ever applied for. It's not something, oh great, I'm going to go become a prophet. Because it usually got you stoned, got you beat up, got you cut in half, humiliated, mocked, ridiculed. And eventually, it would cost you your life. So the persecution that they're talking about, Jesus is speaking to the multitude about, the crowd about, is the type of persecution that comes from being right with the Lord. Very, very few of us associate happiness with persecution. And yet, it's this amazing characteristic 
Some years ago, Time Magazine, you know, back when you could still get magazines, I, there's something about, I don't know if I'm weird or what, but I, I, I actually like magazine magazines. I like paper. I like the way it feels in my hand. I like the sound of the page turning. I like the whole thing. I, this whole thing of doing this on an iPad or whatever, that is not reading to me. I just, I don't know what it is. I, I do this and after two pages I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. I will read a bad magazine, but I can have a good book on an electronic device, and for some reason I just can't read it. I, I like turning the pages. And back when Time Magazine was the number one magazine here in the United States, they did a survey about things that make people happy. And according to the responses they received, happy people enjoy, these are the top four, happy people enjoy other people, but they're not self-sacrificing. In other words, they enjoy other people as long as they can use them. Happy people refuse to participate in any negative feelings or emotions for themselves or others. They're disconnected. They have a sense of accomplishment that's based on their own self-sufficiency. And 86% of them actually went as far as to say they were self-made happy people. And it kind of gives you a sense of how the world functions in a general sense. The world kind of teaches us, you know, if you really want to be happy, you need to take care of you. And yet if you'll notice in all the Beatitudes, there's an absolute lack of focus on the person who is blessed having anything to do with whether they're blessed or not. In other words, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. And so Jesus is shifting the paradigm. He's, he's speaking to him. He says, look, the, the person who's described in this way uh, is really contrary to the world's way. Contrary to the world's way. That's the way we are as Christians. We're contrary to the world's way. So blessed really is the person who's not self-sufficient. Blessed is the person who recognizes his own emptiness and need. Blessed is the person who comes to God like a beggar who has no resources of his own. You see the difference? The world says, oh, you're blessed if you have all this stuff. If you can produce these things. If you yourself are self-sufficient. If you've got it all. Probably some of you have been following some of the, the debate stuff of, you know, that's going on. We've got the first news debate, the first television-produced debate coming up next this coming Thursday. And man, you listen to these people, and it's like they're all claiming to be self-prosperous and self-made. My idea, this is, I, I came up with this stuff my own, especially Donald Trump. What a, what a strange person he is. <laughs> Even his hair is not his own. A blessed person is not one who's like that. Is not confident in its own ability. I think that's, that's like the number one characteristic for a politician. Pompous, arrogant, and self-sufficient. And a lot of them are like that. Not all, but many. A blessed person is completely empty. Needs something from the Lord. Jesus isn't all positive about yourself or myself or should you be about yourself or should you be should I be about myself 
I had a deep conversation with a young man a couple of weeks ago. We were just chatting. And he says, you know, you're always, you're always kind of poking fun at yourself. I said, well, I'm easy to poke fun at. And he says, well, what do you mean? You know, you're a pastor. You, you know, you should show some more respect for yourself. I said, respect for what? My flesh? And we kept talking, and I tried to make the point to him. So look, in me, Scripture says, dwells no good thing. That is my flesh. The only goodness that's in me is Jesus. So how can I brag about, you know, Jesus being in me? I would like to be able to say that I try and represent him pretty well. But as far as being able to say it's, part, it's me, it's not me, it's him. And so we can't take credit for that. So the thing that we do do is we mourn over our sinfulness. We, we mourn when we get isolated from God. If we want to be genuinely content, then we self-sacrifice. We serve other people. We, we start to look for ways to you know, be used of the Lord to be gentle and merciful and pure and, and yearning for that righteousness that comes from the Lord. And if you do that, then you find out exactly how far short you fall. And I would say through all of these, the first seven of the Beatitudes, the eighth one really hangs on all the rest of them. Because if you get the first seven, then you're going to get the eighth one. If you're actually humble, if you're actually meek, if you mourn over your sin, you're going to get mocked by people in this world. That's what's going to happen. You're you're going to experience it. And if we live righteously, you're going to inevitably be persecuted for it. You're going to experience hostility. Look at what's going on right now in our country. I mean, can you imagine losing your home because you simply refuse to bake a cake based on your belief, based on your belief that a marriage is between a man and a woman? That you would lose your home for that. Same thing if I don't want to make a bouquet because I honestly believe God meant what he said, said what he meant, and he explained to us what marriage looked like. I don't dislike you. I'm not being unloving to you. But this to me is not marriage. And for that, you're going to lose your home because you won't provide flowers for that wedding. That's crazy. And yet, you can say all manner of evil, despicable things as long as it's against Christians. As long as it's against Christians, you can say anything in our country. But don't dare call sin, sin. Don't dare represent the Lord if you stand for Christian values. There's a little unknown thing that went on. For those of you that don't know, it took almost, I think it was 13 years finally to complete. But there's a new, opened a couple of years ago, a new underground visitor center underneath the Capitol in Washington, D.C., and so you go to the Capitol, outside the Capitol building, between the Capitol and the Supreme Court, the Library of Congress. You go out there in the courtyard, and there's this, there's this area. It's just flat, and then all of a sudden you see these stairs that go down. And, and in there, there was a two-and-a-half-year-long debate over whether they were going to put in the entryway, in the lobby, in God we trust. Now, if you'd have put up there, Alua Akbar... 
Everybody was, oh, look how tolerant they are. If you'd have put up there, you know, blessed be mammon, you could have put that up there three or four times. Everyone, who's mammon? Ah, oh, it's money. Yeah, amen. But for righteousness' sake, that we actually believe that God is the source of all blessings. By the way, that is exactly what his word declares. That all gifts, every good and perfect gift flows down from our Father of lights who is in heaven. That is exactly what God's word says about everything that comes to us. So why would we not as a God-fearing people, why would it be so offensive to say in the Pledge of Allegiance, to say in the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, and so again, I keep saying this, but some of us who are older, we can remember that when, when you started the school day, you stood, if you wore a hat to school, you got beat for it, Uh, But you took your hat off. If you played on the baseball team, the hat came off, went over your heart, and you pledged allegiance to God and country. And now, well, you can't make people say that. What's so offensive about God? You can say all kinds of things. How many schools now are having their football teams sued the coaches sued losing their jobs simply because they want to kneel on the sideline and pray what is so offensive about that because very often it ends with in Jesus name blessed are you when you're persecuted for his namesake Kingdom people are rejected people. Kingdom people are persecuted people. Kingdom people will generate hostility. You will have antagonism from the world. The world tolerates all kinds of stuff. Isn't it crazy what you can do? You can shout the most pornographic, disgusting, despicable thing. You can yell anything you want. If, if you, go to, you go to Chavez Ravine and you stand in the, in the stands and you're yelling every filthy thing that you can possibly think at the opposing players, you'll probably get a standing ovation. Yay, he's the most foul guy in the stadium. Yeehaw. But you start preaching the gospel, they'll throw you out. This has happened, by the way. People sharing the gospel. Just simply saying... Look, I'd like to share the good news with you. Ah, oh, you can't do that here. Better keep that to yourself. You see, if you're really walking with the Lord, and you're really living out your faith, you are going to be persecuted for it. It's interesting how this last beatitude is really a two-in-one. It's a single beatitude. It's repeated. It's expanded. Uh, The word blessed is mentioned twice. It's one characteristic, though. It's persecution, being persecuted. That's mentioned three times, and it only has one result. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. It's kind of almost, and I want to say this carefully, it's nearly as though persecution is kind of a badge of honor. It's like blessed are you when someone actually notices that you are so on fire for the Lord that it makes them upset. 
Let me give you a list of some blessings. In 2003 in Nicaragua, there's a Southern Baptist pastor who had been down there for about 10 years. Middle of the night, a jeep came to his house. He and a school teacher who happened to live uh, with him, both guys, uh, they both worked in the local church. They were forced into a jeep. They rode along a rugged road to a bridge over a river there in central Nicaragua. They pushed the pastor out. They pushed the teacher out. Knowing what was going to happen, he asked permission to write down a couple of last words to his family back in the States. He wrote in his diary, Today we are going to heaven. They told him to walk over to the edge of the bridge. As he walked over, he died in a hail of machine gun fire, and they kicked his body off of the bridge. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for his name's sake. I guarantee you there was a bunch of crowns. Probably many of you know the story in 1945, German pastor, theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was actually in the middle of a worship service on the last month of his life, he was, continued to preach even at the threat of his own life. Hitler's Gestapo came into the worship service, arrested him, took him to Flossenburg, a prison camp. They tried him there uh, for the crime of treason, and they hanged him just a two, actually two days, a little more than two days before the Allied forces liberated that camp. A medical doctor that was with him in his last moments said this. He said, through the half-open door in one of the huts, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer taking off his prison garb and kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. I was deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed. There wasn't an ounce of hatred for anyone. So devout and so certain was he that God heard his prayer that at the place of execution he again said a short prayer for his captors and then climbed the steps to the gallows bravely and composed himself. His death ensued just a few seconds later and in almost 50 years that he worked as a doctor he had never seen somebody die so patiently and submissive to what the will of God had been for his life. Writer William Barclay, probably many of you have read his commentary, Barclay's commentary on the Old and New Testaments. All the world knows that Christians were flung to lions and burned at the stake and killed in all kinds of death, that Nero himself used to take great delight in taking animal skins and wrapping uh, the animal skins around Christians after he'd coated them in pitch. He would then have them stand in his garden and light them on fire so that he could see his hunting dogs take out after them. They were tortured on the rack. They were scraped. They had molten lead poured into their open mouths. They had hot brass plates affixed to the sides of their temples. Their eyes gouged out. All of this because of one thing. They took a stand for Christ. So the next time somebody says to you, you're narrow-minded. Or they call you, you know, the big buzzword, a homophobe. Count it as a badge of honor if you've been representing Christ well. 
say, no, I'm not homophobic at all. And I'm certainly not anti-people. I just believe that God said what he meant and meant what he said. And so in telling you the truth, if you disagree, then I am grateful to receive that type of treatment. Jesus said it this way, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So that blessed person, the person that's in the right relationship with the Lord, you know, happiness is not rooted in our outward circumstances. Amen? I can prove this to you. The last day of your vacation is also the most miserable day of your year, generally, that, that year. Amen? You're getting done with vacation, you're packing up all your stuff, you're getting ready to go home, and so what happens? You've just spent the last week, maybe 10 days, two weeks, you're in some place that you're not normally there, you're having leisure time, you're doing all that kind of stuff, and all of a sudden, everything is terrible. The entire world is crumbling down on you. All because you're going back to reality. That's not blessedness from God's perspective. Blessedness from God's perspective transcends all those things. It's, it goes beyond our leisure time. It's that right relationship that we have with God. And when God approves of us, we don't need anyone else's approval. When God approves of you, when God smiles about your life, when God is pleased with you, you don't need other people's approval doesn't mean you try and be angry or mean-spirited or you say things intentionally to rile people up. It just means if, you, if you're right with him, you're good. Because one day, this earthly life's going to be over, amen? And all that is done for Christ, that's what's going to really matter. And then you're going to stand before the one who has the opportunity and the means to give you fully the kingdom of God. To be heirs and joint heirs with Christ. You see, when you look at it from that eternal perspective, then you understand the persecution. Some of us people are jealous. I've had many conversations with people. Well, you know, I'm just I'm just tired of you Christians being so joyous all the time. It makes me angry. I don't, I don't even know why you guys are like that. It's weird. Well, yeah, it is because it's not of this earth. It's heavenly. Big buzzword in our media right now has been for actually a number of years, maybe a decade or more. We hear uh, family values or moral values or clarifying our values or values just in general. And, and you know what? I don't, I don't think it's the same for Christians because our values are actually determined by what God thinks of everything. It's not some political word. And we live in a world that has two opposing sets of values. Amen? That's the way the world is. The world has its set of values, and that's largely set by the enemy of your soul, set by Satan. It's his basic agenda that's being played out in the world. doesn't mean that there aren't good things that are going on. doesn't mean that there aren't all kinds of wonderful things for the Lord going on. But this world right now is the enemy's territory. You can see that in our world. As you look around the world, you can tell. 
And so those values are, are at odds with one another. When you express biblical values, when you have your life lived in such a way that people look at you and they can tell that you're on the side of the Lord, it puts you at odds with the vast majority of the world. So you're going to be talking to people and you're going to talk to them about Jesus and they're going to go, oh, I'm just sick of that Jesus stuff. I'm tired of that Christian stuff. Talk to me about anything, but don't talk to me about God. And so Jesus says, look, if you, if you talk about the Lord and you do it in a way that's genuine, uh, you're going to be persecuted. And it's weird, the, the word persecuted here has quite a bit deeper meaning than what we would normally attribute to it. Persecuted literally in the sense that it's spoken of here in the original language means to be hunted down as a beast and killed. That's a little deeper than, oh, he said something mean to me. He said bad things about me. No, it means that the world is going to hunt you down and try and kill you. And that's exactly Satan's agenda, isn't it? He wanders about this earth seeking whom he may devour. But one of the things he does is acts as a roaring lion. He's the accuser of the brethren. He is a liar and the father of it. He is a deceiver. He is the destroyer. These, by the way, are all his names. That's how we know him. And so unless you're on that side... Unless you're on the side of destruction, unless you're on the side of lying, unless you're on the side of deceiving, unless you're on the side of all these things that are clearly not of God, unless you're on that side, you're going to be persecuted in this world. You're going to get called narrow-minded. You're going to get called bigoted. People are going to look at you and go, oh, you know, you're one of those guys. You're so holy. It's self-inflicted suffering that we go through because we stand for the Lord. You kind of have to get over it after a while. You have to realize it's just going to happen. It's a foregone conclusion. And so he says, look, you're willingly submitting to this type of, of treatment. You're, you're going to endure it. It's what's going to come into your life. Enemies are going to try and capitalize on that. You're going to suffer reproach. You're going, to re- you're going to suffer revile. and People are going to insult you. They'll use violent language against you. They're going to say all kinds of things. They're going to accuse you falsely for his namesake. I can tell you one of the most troubling things that I deal with in, in ministry in general, in a practical sense, in an administrative sense, is trying to sort through all the false accusations about everyone and everything. I I can tell you in a church this size, there are some significant false accusations being thrown around because I've heard them. People go, well, did you know? It's staggering to me. I've had people complain about everything and everyone. I've had half the pastoral staff is, you know, they're demonic from the pit of hell, according to some people. The same has been said about, well, you know, I mean, he, he's this or he's that. You're going to be persecuted if you're standing for Christ because you're going to irritate people. You're going to make them mad. 
You're not going to say what they want you to say. They're not going to hear what they want to hear. You're going to speak the truth. You'll do it in as much love as you possibly can. But the truth hurts at times. And people don't like to hear the truth. So, well, you know, they make all of their excuses as to why they're like that. And basically Jesus is saying, look, on account of me, you're going to be persecuted. People will suffer their own suffering for doing dumb things. Amen? I've, I've talked to people, and it's just like you, you talk to them, and on one hand you're going like, I really appreciate the fact that you want to share the gospel, but screaming and yelling at people doesn't get that done. You're not sharing the gospel when you're, you're belittling them and humiliating them and you're driving around with them and they, they can't escape you and you're on a bus someplace and it's just like you pester them until they, you know, they've moved three times. There's no seats left on the bus and you know, you're hunting them down and finally it's just like, enough! You wonder why the bus driver pulls over and throws you off the bus because you're, you're being obnoxious. Spiritual things are spiritually appraised. All you can do is share the gospel. You don't, you don't have to beat people with it. You just tell them about the love of Christ. You can tell them what he does when we repent. But you don't have to beat them up with it. And so who's going to be persecuted? Is it, as, is it uh, some part of the focus here? The righteous people. I had a young man in the church, pretty funny actually, up in Running Springs. Let's just say he was a troubled young man, and he had a habit of putting substances in his body that belonged in horses. He took all, you know, he's one of those guys, well, I know that's a horse tranquilizer, and it's the size of a quarter, but, you know, I can probably consume that. It'll do something to me, but... He, he had taken some kind of drug. Nobody even knows to this day what it was. And I mean, he was flipped out. And the police officers, it took like six of them to restrain him. And he was as thin as a bean pole, probably 130 pounds soaking wet. But he had superhuman strength on whatever it was that he stuck in his, in his body. And he came back after getting out of jail. And he just, he went on and on about how he was being persecuted for righteousness sake and I said how do you come to that conclusion well they arrested me in the church parking lot I go, that's because you're a drug addict not because you're persecuted for righteousness sake oh you deserve to be arrested well I was you know I was screaming and yelling he said some of the things that he was yelling at I'm going I would have arrested you too that's not righteousness sake that was unrighteousness that was coming out of you you got arrested because you're a knucklehead. You weren't being righteous. We need to be righteous, and that righteousness will get us uh, plenty of ability to have uh, people upset with us. We're going to see next time as we, as we move on to the parables here in, in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to get to salt and light. You know, when you sign, when you take salt and you put it on an open putrid sore, people are going to get a little bit upset, amen? You shine light on their sin, they're going to get upset, amen? So you can count on that.
that'll happen, and that's, that's the result of it. We're, we're, as disciples, we're strangers in this world. We're actually unwelcome guests at times. We're kind of disturbers of the peace. Not God's peace, the peace of this world. The world doesn't like it. It's always kind of an interesting thing when a, when a right-on Christian ends up in you know, somebody's party. You talk about a cosmic killjoy. You're selling, you know, they're, they're off in their little world of carnality and you're in there telling people about Jesus. They're like, we're going to kill you. Well, yeah, it's because you're light in darkness. You're, you're salt. You're that preservative in that situation. So it makes people upset. We're going to deserve that persecution. It's not because we are, you know, we've got a martyr complex or some kind of paranoia or we're just simply hostile or critical or judgmental. A lot of, perse- a lot of persecution that Christians face is because they're judgmental and they're legalistic. We speak the truth in love. But when you're talking to unbelievers, you realize they don't get it. People who don't know the Lord do not understand what it is you're saying to them. So when you talk to them about walking in the Spirit, they're looking at you like, what, is that some kind of drink? Walking in the Spirit, what is that? That's what happens when I go to a bar after I leave. I walk in the Spirit. They don't get it spiritual thing it's spiritually appraised they don't understand what it means for you to be salt and light so it's it's time that the church wakes up and realize we have an obligation to just continue to be right with god before people just live it so the mighty roman empire expanded and flourished eventually for most of you if you know you're history, the Roman Empire eventually reached all the way to Scotland. And about in the middle of the of Great Britain as we know it, is an area in the center of the country called Hadrian's Wall. The Emperor Hadrian built that wall to keep out the, the northern hordes, the Celts. And as they began to realize exactly how large the Roman Empire was. So imagine if you look at a European map and look where Rome is in Italy and then look at the center of Great Britain, the northern portion of the center of Great Britain, and realize that it was ruled from that one central place. They realized that ultimately they had to have some way to keep it all amalgamated and blended together, blended as one. So from the north coast of Africa all the way through Germany into parts of Russia and Great Britain. That was all the Roman Empire at one point in time. It was there that you were forced to worship the goddess Roma, the spirit of Rome. That was that unifying force. And so wherever you were, you pledged allegiance to both Caesar and the goddess of Rome. It was compulsory. It was emperor worship. And it was that persecution that caused hundreds of thousands of Christians to lose their lives. They wouldn't bow. They, they would not say Caesar is Lord. They refused to do it. That's persecution for righteousness sake. That's standing up and saying, look, uh, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. I have one God. There's one faith. There's one Lord. And I'm going to worship him. 
but you're not being persecuted for righteousness when you don't pay your taxes. That's not persecution for righteousness. That is you being lawless because government's been appointed by God. That's what your Bible says. And so when Christians band together and do illegal things, when they refuse to do the things that we should do, which is to be the very best citizens, when there's no biblical reason for us to not do that, that is a different matter. But pledge allegiance in that sense to say, look, my God is the United States. If, they were, if we were forced to do that, then we're going to have to choose one day. My God is the United States Congress. The moment we're asked to do that, then we have to make a choice. Then we'll have to choose whether we're going to be persecuted for righteousness or not. But right now, we're not asked to do that. We're not being asked to worship Caesar in that way. We do render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Amen? Jesus said that, by the way. And you know what the context was? Paying taxes. Well, who's going to pay the tax? Well, here's the fish. Look, got a coin. There you go. You see, we want to be blamed for following Christ, not just simply being rebellious. Spiritually, person, our, our response is going to be uh, to that persecution, an attitude of being blessed. Notice it says, rejoice and be glad when you're persecuted for Christ's sake. That, that word, agalastai, it, it means to leap exceedingly. It literally means to jump up and down for joy. Now, I'm not saying, because if you do that, people are going to think you're weird. But I, I do think it's important for us to realize the context. It's like, yes, I'm finally being persecuted for actually being like Jesus. Because a lot of Christians go through their whole life and they're never persecuted for being like Jesus. We're, we're so, supposed to be worthy of that suffering, worthy of that shame, and case in point, and I, I want to wrap up with this tonight, is Acts chapter 5, if you want to turn there. You know the story. The story is this. It's the story of Paul and Silas. They're in prison. They're in the jail there in, in Philippi. They're having a worship service. And in verse 17, they were filled, you know, the church and the associates, the high priest, all his guys were filled with jealousy, it says in verse 17. Verse 18, and they laid hands on the apostles and they put them in public jail. Why? Because they were preaching Christ. Not because they were being knuckleheads. An angel came that night, set everybody free. Verse 28, and remember as the authorities come and they confront them, didn't we give you strict orders not to continue teaching in his name? Behold, you filled all Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring upon us this man's blood. While they were still whining that same tune, Peter, who was filled with the Spirit of God, verse 29 says, we must obey God rather than men. For the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. And he is the one whom God exalted at his right hand as the Prince and the Savior to grant repentance to Israel for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 33, we can see, I didn't calm things down much. 
And when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, intending to slay them. You can kind of see how it's escalating here. The guys are just going, hey, we're just preaching Jesus. The response of the apostles after they're flogged, because finally the Sanhedrin listened to Gamaliel, flogged them, ordered them to speak no more in the name of Jesus again. Verse 41 reads, And so they went on their way from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame in his name. You see, that's the right kind of persecution. It wasn't just civil disobedience because he didn't like a law. They were preaching Christ crucified alone for the remission of sin. That's why they got in trouble. You get thrown in jail for doing that, praise God. That is a badge of honor. You're in good company. You can get, when you get to heaven, you can compare notes with Paul and Silas. Amen? Dude, how was your prison cell? Well, it's, you know, it was kind of nice. Uh, we had HD color television in mine. Three squares a day. Paul will probably shaking his head. It's like, you guys. The writer of Hebrews reminds us also that we were a good company. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 36, it begins, Experienced they did mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death by the sword. And they went about in sheepskins and in goatskins, being dis- destitute and afflicted, ill-treated, wandering in the deserts of mountains and caves and holes in the ground, you, you, you see, blessed are you when you're persecuted for his name's sake, for simply preaching Christ. For great is your reward in heaven. Great godly Christian leader in the fourth century, John Chrysostom, uh, he was brought before the unscrupulous empress Eudoxia, and there he began to plead his case, and finally the emperor was summoned. Arcadius, threatened with banishment if he didn't cease preaching Christ. His response was this in his memoirs. He said, Sire, you cannot banish me from this world because this world is not my home. I go to my father's house. Arcadius then said, Then I will slay you. Chrysostom said, no, you you cannot, for my life is hid with Christ in God. The emperor went on to say, then your treasures will be confiscated. The next threat to which John Chrysostom supplied the answer, sire, that cannot be either. For my treasures are in heaven where none can break in and none can steal. Finally, the emperor said, then I'll drive you from man. You'll have no friends left. The final desperate warning from the emperor. John Chrysostom said, that you cannot do either. For I have a friend in heaven who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Oh, that we would be persecuted in that way. 
that when we simply respond with the truth of who Christ is and what he's done for us, that we would have that, that badge of honor of saying, my Savior is the one to whom I owe allegiance. And insofar as it lies with me, I'm just going to keep serving him until he comes. If you want to imprison me for that, praise the Lord. If you want to speak evil against me because I speak fondly of my Savior, praise God. May we wear that persecution gladly. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, so they will persecute you. Prosperity has often been fatal to Christianity. But can I tell you this? Persecution never has done anything but cause the church to grow. Where the church has been persecuted, it's grown. Where the church has been persecuted, its reach has deepened. Where the church has been persecuted, it flourishes. The number one country in the world for conversions to Christ daily is a place where it's the most severely penalized, and that's China. There are more people coming to faith in Christ in China daily than anywhere else in the world, and yet it's illegal. We have friends that go in and out of China almost every day. It's illegal. And they have a network of people that just, can you bring us Bibles? Our, our Bible study is blowing up. We don't even know what to do. We're supposed to be underground, but the policemen are getting saved. The soldiers are getting saved. Her mayor got saved. The mayor of their prefect. The prefect that they go into to, to, to smuggle Bibles. And I was helping them smuggle Bibles. Oh, that we would experience that type of stand for Christ that resulted in us actually paying a price for being Christians. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for his namesake. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Gonna have the worship team come back up. Tonight I simply want to ask you if you're maybe you're a little meek, maybe you're a little weak, maybe when it comes to these things, you're you're one who likes so many, and, and I don't want you to feel poorly about it. I just simply want you to ask the Lord to change it. When when that subject comes up at work, you have a tough time telling people about Jesus. Because you don't want to be persecuted. When that subject comes up at home, maybe you're the only Christian that's in your home. And it's tough, it's hard. Maybe you just need a little holy boldness to be able to say, My King, my Savior is Jesus. And really, at the end of the day, when all is said and done, the only thing that's going to matter is where you stood for Christ. Nobody's going to remember. You want an interesting study? We hardly have newspapers anymore, but when you read obituaries, it's kind of almost humorous at times. Not so much that someone's passed on from this life to the next, but all the things that are in there. It's a member of the Rotary Club or a Kiwanis, you know, and 
you know, had three high school letters in track. Or so. It's just like the week after you're gone, nobody's going to care. But I'll tell you what is going to matter when you get to heaven and you bump into all the saints that are there because you told them about Christ. That's going to matter. I know how we need that boldness in our lives. If that's you, pastors are going to come up, prayer team's going to be here, be some ladies for the ladies. Maybe you just need a dose of boldness. Ask the Lord to give you the honor of being persecuted for his name's sake. Because it is an honor. And it's one for which Scripture says, one day you'll receive a crown. And that crown can be a gift you can give back to Jesus for the good things that he has done. Amen? Why don't you stand? We're going to pray. Prayer team's going to come forward. We're going to worship a bit. Father, thank you for tonight. God, I just pray. Lord, I pray that I'd be counted worthy. Lord, of a little bit of uneasiness, a little persecution, God, a little righteousness that flows out, Lord, that you first put in that would cause the world to be a little upset. So, God, we do pray as a church for some holy boldness. Lord, the ability to just speak forth your truth and love. Lord, Lord, not to be mean-spirited, not to be angry, but to be so much like Jesus that that gospel which is an offense, which is life for those who are being saved, Lord, would prick a few ears, would cause a few voices to be raised in dissent. Lord, teach us your ways, teach us your truth, for it is your truth that sets us free. We bless you, we praise you, We thank you, and God's people all set. Amen. Amen.